Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Come on, say this with me. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. If you have your Bibles or you have a device, go with me to Judges chapter 6. This is your year of restoration. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Now, as we turn to Judges chapter 6, you know, once again, Apostle Mrs. Chodo, thank you for this opportunity for pouring into my faith family in Zimbabwe and South Africa. I take it as a great honor and a great privilege. And thank you once again for granting me this opportunity to share the words of this life, the words of faith. Judges chapter 6. And we're going to lay a foundation so that we can really go to where we're going in this conference this year. Judges chapter 6. Verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them. That word deliver means just handed them over to the hand of Midian for seven years. So what did they do? You know, long story short, they turned away from God. They stopped doing what God said. So instead of enjoying the blessings of God, they started following other gods, and God said, you could have it your way. And instead of them receiving the blessing, they ran into the Midianites. Verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which were in the mountains, and caves, and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Malachites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till you come to Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle in their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for a multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Azabezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So he is threshing wheat in a very small area, hiding from the Midianites. So he's in hiding, trying to get enough food for him and his family. He's not taking this bold stand anywhere. He's in hiding. He is sheltering in this place so the Midianites don't find him. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I'm sure Gideon did not feel like a mighty man of valor. Another translation says, you mighty hero. I'm sure he didn't feel like a mighty hero. He didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. He's in hiding in this small place. You usually thresh wheat in a large place. But he's in this small place trying to thresh enough wheat so the Midianites don't find him. Because what have the Midianites been doing? They've been destroying all the increase. And so the whole nation, that whole area is impoverished because of the attack of the enemy. 
Notice Gideon's response. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then has all this befallen us? Now, we know the answer why. The prophet of God gave the answer in just a few verses back. So that question is answered. But notice the next questions. And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us or handed us over to the hands of the Midianites. So here's a question that Gideon needs answer. Where are the miracles of the God who brought us up out of Egypt? And some of you may be asking that question right now, looking at everything that's going on in Zimbabwe, everything that's going on in the world. Where is the God who delivered us in the past? Where is he? Where are his miracles? We've heard his stories. We've seen him do stuff from the past. But what about today? And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this your might, or go with the strength that you have, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? So he's asking, where are his miracles? And that was God said. You'll see the miracles as you step out. You'll see the miracles as you go. You want to see the miracles? Then you go do what I'm telling you to do, and then you'll see the miracles. Go with the strength that you have right now. And as you step out with that strength, you'll see the miracles. And you shall save or rescue Israel from the Midianites. Have not I sent you? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save or rescue Israel? Behold, my family is poor. That word poor means I'm poor and weak in Manasseh. So out of the whole tribe of Manasseh, my family is the weakest and the poorest. And I am the least. I am the weakest and poorest person in my father's house. Okay, God, you must have picked the wrong person. I can't be the mighty hero. I can't be the man of valor. I'm in hiding right now. And my family is the weakest of all the families in Manasseh. And I'm the weakest person in my weak family in this tribe. How can you tell me to go? And the Lord said unto him, surely I will be with you. And you shall smite the Midianites as one man. Or you'll be able to take this overly oppressing army as if they were one person. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in your sight, and you show me a sign that you talk with me, depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto you, and bring forth my present and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of ephah flour, the flesh he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. What is this? It's a sacrifice. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and it consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed. He vanished out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you. Fear not, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is yet an Ophrah of the Azabazarites. Called it Jehovah Shalom. That name of God can be translated the God of peace. It can be translated Jehovah is peace. It's also translated as the God who sends peace. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. If you're watching on Facebook, this is a good time to say, my God is the God of peace. If you're watching someone on Facebook where you can type in, go ahead and type in the comics. My God is the God of peace. If you're listening on WhatsApp or another way, say it with me. Say, my God is the God of peace. Now, Jehovah Shalom. So the word for peace in Hebrew is shalom which is defined as peace, completeness, health, prosperity, safety, tranquility, the peace that comes from being whole. It's nothing missing, nothing broken. So this 
peace is the peace that comes from being whole. That means if you have shalom, it's nothing missing, nothing broken. And so even today, it's still a greeting among Jewish people. It's, they say shalom, or how is your shalom? It's talking about your wholeness. So once again, this word shalom means peace. It means completeness. It means health. It means prosperity. It means safety. It's tranquility. It's the peace that comes from being whole. It implies a life of having nothing missing and nothing broken. That's what the word shalom means. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's a very familiar scripture to us. A lot of people read it in the Christmas season. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So notice what is one of the names of Jesus the prince of peace, the prince of shalom, the prince of completeness, of health, of prosperity, of safety, of tranquility, the peace that comes from being whole, the peace that comes from having nothing missing and nothing broken. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Just laying a foundation of where we're going to go today and then we'll get into later tonight. Isaiah chapter 5, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, five different times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. So it's an Old Testament name of God as well as a New Testament name of God. And the word peace here in the New Testament, which is translated from the Greek, means peace, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, which means intense happiness, and tranquility. It means peace, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, intense happiness, and tranquility. He is the God of peace the God of peace, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, intense happiness, and tranquility. Now go with me to Joel chapter 2, verse 21. See, one of the wonderful things about the names of God in Scripture, it lets us know his character. It lets us know who he is and he wa what he wants to do in our lives. And Joel chapter 2, verse 21 makes this powerful statement says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. I know what 2020 has looked like. I know we've seen the bad reports on the news. I know we've experienced some things, but I want you to know God is doing great things for you right now. Wherever you're watching right now, wherever you're listening, say, God is doing great things for me. Now, I'll say it like you mean it. Say, God is doing great great things for me. Come on, say it one more time. Say, God is doing great things for me. Now, let's go to verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, harvest time, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil, See, one of the things, why is wheat, wine, and oil so important in this verse? It represented the entire economy. These were the staple products of the economy of Israel at that time. And so if you're overflowing wheat, wine, and oil, that means your economy is prospering. Notice what it says in verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the pomeron, my great army which I sent among you, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, how did they get into a situation where they had lack, where they needed restoration? 
How do they get into the situation? This group of people here that Joel is talking to had left the ways of God, much like the people in Judges 6. And because they left the ways of God, locusts, palmer worm, cankerworm came in and ate the harvest. And they're in a position of need, in a position of lack. And it doesn't always happen this way. This is not always the cause. But for the cause of Judges 6 and the cause of Judges 2, it was disobedience towards God that put them in a position to need restoration. But notice what God said. I will restore. This word restore is a Hebrew word shalom, which means to be at peace, to be complete, to live in peace, to make whole, to make compensation or recompense to reward. It means to be at peace. It means to be complete. It means to live in peace. It means to make whole, to make compensation or recompense. It means to reward. God is in the restoration business. When we think of God as the God of peace, we must think of him as the God of restoration. Why? If you have not been restored, then you are not whole. This word restore also means to make whole again. God wants you to have nothing missing, nothing broken, and wholeness in every area of your lives. God wants you whole. God wants you restored. It's in the very name, the very nature of God. He is the God of peace. He is the God of restoration. He is the God who wants to make you nothing missing, nothing broken, and give you the peace that comes from being whole. God wants to restore you. And he told us even last year that this will be a year of restoration. So we choose to believe what God said over the reports that are in the world. Because you can still have a tremendous year. This year's not over yet. What can happen in the rest of the year can be so good, so wonderful, so tremendous that it makes you forget the other earlier part of the year. So that when people see you at the end of the year, they go, man, wasn't this a bad year? So, oh, no, it looked like it was kind of bad. It looked like it was rocky. But in the midst of it all, God did something wonderful. In the midst of it all, God manifested his goodness. In the midst of it all, God turned it around, and God has restored me. So now that I look back at 2020, it's been a wonderful year. You know what it was? Exactly what God said, my year of restoration. So to keep laying this foundation, to get ready for where we're going tonight, let me give you some more definitions for the word restore. Eight definitions for the word restore. It means to return a person as a specific thing which he has lost or which has been taken from him unjust and unjustly detained. It means to return to a person as a specific thing which he has lost or which has been taken from him and unjustly detained. For example, we restore lost or stolen goods to the owner. This word means to make restitution or satisfaction for a thing taken by returning something else or something of a different value. If that thing cannot be returned as it is something else in its place that has the same value or greater is restored or brought back to a person. Another definition means to replace, to return, as to return a person or thing to a former place. It means to bring back or recover from lapse, degeneracy, declension, or ruin to its former state. It means to bring back or recover from lapse, to return something to its former state. It also means, number four, to heal, to cure, to recover from disease. It means to heal, to cure, to recover from disease. It means to repair, to rebuild, as to restore and to build Jerusalem. It means to revive, to resuscitate, to bring back to life. It means to revive, to, res to resuscitate, to bring back to life. It means to return or bring back after absence. It means to return or bring back after absence. Number eight, it means to renew or reestablish after interruption. It means to renew or reestablish after interruption. So let me read you some definitions again for those of you taking notes, and you should be taking notes. Not just from what I'm going to say, but what God's going to speak to your heart during these sessions. 
restore. These definitions means to return a person, return to a person as a specific thing which he has lost or which has been taken from him and unjustly detained. We restore lost or stolen goods to the owner. It means to make restitution or satisfaction for a thing taken by returning something else or something of different value. It means to replace, to return, as to return a person or thing to a former place. It means to bring back or recover from lapse. It means to bring back something to its formal state. It means to heal, to cure, to recover from disease, to repair, to rebuild, as to restore and to build Jerusalem. It means to revive, to resuscitate. It means to revive, to resuscitate, to bring back to life. It means to return or bring back after absence. To return or bring back after absence. It means to renew or reestablish after interruption. So knowing these definitions and what we saw for the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for restore and peace, the Greek word for peace, and how God is the God of peace, the God who sends peace, the God of restoration, the God who sends restoration, how we see in his very name. So that lets us know his nature is that he wants us to experience restoration. He wants us to live in peace. Knowing these things before tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down areas in your life that you need restoration in. I want you to write down areas in your life that you need restoration in or areas in your life that you need wholeness in. I want you to write them down when we finish this message today. And then I want you to bring the list, whether you write it down on your phone or a piece of paper. I want you to write it somewhere where you can see it. And I want you to bring it back with you tonight because I truly believe God can bring restoration to your life and do such a wonderful job of bringing, bringing restoration to your life and sending peace into your life, that by the time you get to the end of the year, you have a testimony of not just that you made it, not just God kept you, but God restored you. He is the God of peace. He is the God of restoration, and he has restoration for you today. So I look forward to seeing you tonight. So say it with me. Say, my God is the God of peace. My God is the God of restoration. Say, today I will experience the restoration that God has for me. Say, today I'm experiencing the restoration my God has for me because he is the God of peace and restoration. Something good is going to happen to me today. I expect it. I expect miracles. I expect restoration. I expect the goodness of God manifesting in my life. Let's go again to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And let's do a little bit of review. Some of the things we covered yesterday, not reviewing the whole time, but a little bit of review. One of the things we saw yesterday is both the Old and the New Testament call God the God of peace. Both the Old and New Testament call God the God of peace. The New Testament word for peace, yes, means peace, but also means harmony, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, which means intense happiness and tranquility. The New Testament word means peace, harmony, security, safety, prosperity, intense happiness, and tranquility. The Old Testament word for peace means peace, completeness, health, prosperity, safety, tranquility, the peace that comes from being whole. It means to have nothing missing and nothing broken. So let's go to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Let's look at what it says here. Verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. You can rejoice today because God is going to do great things in your life. 
Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankworm, the caterpillar, and the palmerworm, my great army, which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And so as we said yesterday, that word restore, the Hebrew word shalom, which means to be at peace, to be complete, to live in peace, to make whole, to make compensation or recompense means to reward. It means to be at peace, to be complete, to live in peace, to make whole, to make compensation or recompense, to reward. As we said yesterday, God is in the restoration business. When we think of God as the God of peace, we must think of him as the God of restoration. If you have not been restored, then you are not whole. God wants you to have nothing missing, nothing broken, wholeness in every area of your life. God wants you whole. God wants you restored. One of the reasons we took so much time yesterday talking about the names of God is to let you know one of the things about the names of God reveals his character and what he wants to do in our life today. And so if he identifies himself as the God of peace, if he identifies himself as the God who makes you whole, if he identifies himself as the God of restoration, then he wants to restore you today. He wants to send peace to your life today. He wants to make you whole today. That is what God wants to do in your life. We looked at all these different, defi different definitions for restore, and I'll read through them quickly. It means to return to a person as a specific thing which he has lost or which has been taken from him and unjustly detained. We restore lost or stolen goods to the owner. It means to make restitution or satisfaction for a thing taken by returning something else or something of different value. God wants to restore to you things that you've lost, things that have been taken from you, and things that have been unjustly detained. It means to replace. It means to return as a person or a thing to a former place. God wants to replace things in your life and return you to the position you should have been in the entire time. It means to bring back or recover from lapse or bring back to its former state. And so the thing is, some things in your life may have fallen by the wayside because of an attack from the enemy, because of decisions you made, maybe mistakes you made, or just life attacking. God wants to restore you to the place that you should have been and restore you to the condition you should be in. Number four, it means to heal, to cure, to recover from disease. God wants to restore health to your body. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be strong. He wants your youth to be renewed as the eagles. It means to repair and to rebuild. As to restore and to build Jerusalem, there may be some areas in your life that need to be rebuilt because of things that have happened this year. There may be some areas in your life that needs to be repaired, but God wants to cause that repair and restoration and rebuilding to happen to you. It means to revive. It means to resuscitate. It means to bring back to life. There may be some areas of your life and relationships and situations and things and places you find yourself in that seem dead, but God wants to revive it and bring it back to life. Yes, God has revival plans for Zimbabwe. Yes, he wants his life to manifest there like never before. It means to return or bring back after absence. There may be some things that have been out of your life for a long time, but God can make him come back to your life. Number eight, it means to renew or reestablish after interruption. There may be some good things that were interrupted this year, but God wants to renew it and reestablish it, it for you. To me, it's interesting that God revealed himself to Gideon as Jehovah Shalom. He reassured Gideon, we saw that yesterday in Judges 6, that he would be with him, and he called Gideon to go to battle. Isn't it interesting that when God calls himself the God of peace, he tells Gideon, you need to fight. He's the God of peace, but he's telling Gideon, I'm taking you to a battle. Remember, we looked at yesterday to fight the good fight of faith. And so Gideon had asked the angel of God two questions. Why are we in this mess? 
and God has sent a prophet before them to answer that question. And number two, where are the miracles of the God who brought us out of Egypt? Our fathers have told us the stories, but where are those miracles today? And so God had already answered question one, but the answer to question two is that if you want to see those miracles, if you want to see what I have for you, if you want to see the restoration, you are going to have to go to war. You are going to have to battle. You're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. It's not just sitting on your couch and doing nothing. It's not sitting at home saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's activating your faith and doing what the Holy Ghost has told you to do because God has restoration plans for you. This is a good time to say, say, God has restoration plans for me. If you're watching on Facebook, you can comment this. Say, God has restoration plans for me. Come on, say, God has restoration plans for me, but I must fight the good fight of faith. You must fight the good fight of faith, and it's a good fight because you win, and you're on the winning side. Thanks be to God who always gives us the victory. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So let's just know that in this life we will have to fight. In this life we'll have to resist the enemy, but in this life we know we have the victory because God is a God of peace, he is a God of restoration, and he is with us, but we must move forward in the plan he has for our lives. God is the God of peace, and he has restoration for us. So if you want to receive restoration, you're going to need to fight the good of fight of faith. Like Gideon, if you want to see the miracles, you got to step out and do what God has called you to do. Like Mary, you will need to believe. And we looked at how the angel of the Lord said to Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. You might say, for me to receive restoration in all these areas in the list that I wrote down yesterday is impossible. For with God, nothing is impossible. It said later in the Gospels, for with God, all things are possible. The world may say your situation is impossible for you and your family and your nation to experience restoration. People would write you off and say that's impossible, but God has a plan of restoration for you. With God, it is possible, but you must believe. You know, as Elizabeth said, blessed is she that believe because she shall receive and shall see the performance of the Lord. God is going to perform in your life this year. Although you've seen many things happen in your life this year, this year is not over. This is still a year of restoration and God has a performance for you. There shall be a performance of the Lord. As we said, that word performance means completing, perfection, and fulfillment. That word performance means completing, perfection, and fulfillment. Completing, perfection, and fulfillment. So in other words, the performance is the completing. It's the fulfilling. It's the restoring. There shall be a restorative work of the Lord in your life. But you must believe. So today, we're going to get into some enemies of restoration, because I made a statement yesterday, is that when you're going after restoration, yes, you have to fight and resist the enemy. It's part of the fight of faith. But there's also some enemies to restoration that you need to fight. And some, sadly, some people don't know these are enemies. Some people are best friends with some of the enemies of restoration. Let's see if you are one of those if one of these things in your life is something that you do on a regular basis. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings chapter 17 is a familiar story to a lot of us. First Kings chapter 17. Verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, come on, get out, 
and turn to the east. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. So when we look at this, we see God's supernatural provision. But in this passage, I think we can find a lot of us that Elijah's following God. He did what God told him to do. He says, now I need you to go in hiding because Ahab is going to want to come after you. Abraham, Ahab is going to want to kill you. Ahab is going to do, try to do things to you. He's going to be searching for you. So go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. You'll drink of the brook so you have your water supply. But every morning and every evening, I'm going to have these birds fly in and drop off a meal for you. You know, some, you know, Hebrew scholars and commentators believe that these birds will swoop in and go to Ahab and Jezebel's table and take their food and bring it to the man of God. And so he's in the wilderness enjoying life. Food is brought to him in the morning. Food is brought to him in the evening. He's drinking the water. He's enjoying the provision of God. God said, I'm going to take care of you. You know, one of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides the God who sees to it. So there's provision for him. There's provision for the man of God. There's provision for the man who put his trust in God. So he's living by the brook, enjoying life. He's in this place where God is protecting him. He's in a place where the enemy can't fight him, and he's enjoying the provision of God. But because there's no rain, the brook dries up. Now, the Lord told him, here's what I want you to do next. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Do you know what a lot of us would have done? We would have missed the miracle because we wouldn't go to Zarephath. You know what we would have done? Well, God told me this brook will sustain me. God told me I will drink of the brook. And so y'all start talking to the brook. Brook, I command water to flow. I command water to flow. God said, and some of you would be even dramatic, and you put in your extra preaching voice on. And you would do all these dramatic things trying to make that brook produce water. When although God did say that brook will sustain you, but then God said, here's what I want you to do now. See, one of the enemies to restoration is refusing to change. One of the enemies of restoration is refusing to change. Write this down if you're taking notes. One of the enemies of restoration is refusing to change. If Elijah did not change his location, he would not have received the provision God had for him. If Elijah did not change his location, he would have not have received the provision God had for him. God said, the provision I have for you is in Zarephath. But too many of us stay by the brook. So if enemy of restoration is refusing to change. So many people miss out on restoration because they're trying to get back to how life exactly was. When God has a future for you, that some of the restoration God has for you is not going to look like what you were used to, it's going to be better. But if you set your mind on what was instead of what God wants to do, if you set your focus on the brook, you'll miss it. Because you have to understand, the brook was not Elijah's source. The widow woman in Zarephath wasn't Elijah's source. Who was the source? God. He has many resources, many different ways to get provision to you. But you need to make sure that you're in the place God wants you to be, that you're doing what God wants you to do, that you're not stuck by the brook because you're comfortable, that you're not stuck by the brook because you're used to it. You've been living by the brook for years. You've been living by the brook for decades. Your industry was by the brook. Everything you were taught 
and school and university was by the brook. Everything your family taught you was by the brook. But where God has called you today is to leave the brook and go to Zarephath. You may say, hey, that looks impossible. That looks insane. I'm just going to stay by the brook because maybe one day again we'll have some water in the brook. And if you do that, you will miss the restoration God has for you. You'll miss the provision God has for you. An enemy to restoration is refusing to change. Go to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. An enemy to restoration is refusing to change. Verse 1, Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go you and your household, and sojourn wherever you can sojourn. For the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose, and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her house, and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the end of the seven years that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, and so the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field, since the day that she had left the land, even until now. See, this is a very interesting story. Famine was coming on the land. But the word of God for this woman in her house wasn't stay here. Now, there's other places in Scripture and famine that God said, Stay here, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll bless you. But other times, she says, I need you to go. So the thing is, whether you stay or you go, the place is not your source. God is your source. If you're watching social, on Facebook, it's a good place to type in, God is my source. And so what happened? I need you to go sojourn wherever you can sojourn. Go live in another place. So this, you know, this also implies I'll take care of you in all the other places. But it's time for you to go. But you know what's interesting is her land, that even in a time of famine, her land still produced. There was still fruit from her land. Her land was still producing something. And so the king and the government of soldiers, they were harvesting from that land. And when she came back, she just happened. Just happened. This is a divine setup. This is something that God has orchestrated. That as she comes back to the land, she just walks in at the right moment, in the right hour, on the right day, that Gehazi, who used to work for Elisha, is before the king telling stories of the good and great things Elisha did and God did through him. And while he's telling the story of a woman's son being raised to life, she walks in and says, King, that's the woman, and that's the son who was restored to life. God had arranged it perfectly. And then the king said, Restore to her her land and her house. Give everything back to her, plus all the things, all the fruit of the field since the day she left the land, even until now. That is restoration and restitution. So not only did God provide for her in her house for seven years, everything she may have lost by not being there was restored to her. But let me tell you this. If she did not do what God said, she would have missed out on provision and restoration. She would have had to go through some things that God didn't want her to go through. She would have had to go through extra tough times. It's tough for everybody. Where there had been more on her plate than ever should have been. If she didn't do what God said. If she refused to change, she would have missed out on what God had for her. Refusing to change is an enemy of restoration. Refusing to change is an enemy of restoration. Here's something I've been saying to my congregation all year long. If you want to see restoration, you must innovate. If you want to see restoration, you must innovate. Refusing to change can block restoration and cause you to miss out on what God has for you. Change can bring restoration. If you want to see restor restoration, 
you must innovate. Understand this, the Holy Spirit is creative. He has innovations for you. Stop trying to go back to normal. Stop trying to go back to what you used to do. Instead, go to the future that God has for you. If you want to receive restoration, you must innovate. You must be creative. Yes, God told you to go by the brook for that time. What does God tell me to do today? See, sometimes we make traditions out of directions God told us to do for that time. I'm not talking about the eternal truth of the Word of God and how God has told us to live from the Scripture, but I'm talking about daily plans that God led us to do. Okay, here's the business I called you to start. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to operate in this city. I want you to do those different things. And He'll tell you those things. But then we get comfortable doing those things for years, decades even, and doing things the same way. And when it doesn't produce anymore, it doesn't produce like it used to. It's like, well, I'm going to stick with it. With it, with it, because it's what God told me to do. Well, that's great, but have you ever asked him, God, is this still how you want me to do it? See, too many times in ministry and in life, instead of marrying the message, we marry the method. Instead of marrying the message, we marry the method. The method is something God can anoint for the moment. It doesn't mean, unless he says otherwise, is how you're supposed to operate for your entire life. The message, the eternal truth of the Word of God, what he's called you to do is forever. But the way he has you to do it can change. Because God has anointed you to do it, but he'll give you di many different methods. The method may change. At one point, you may be by the brook. Another point, you may be at Zarephath. Wherever God leads you to do, notice that's where you're supposed to be. But so many of us are still by the brook when God has called us to go to Zarephath. So many of us are by the brook when God has called us to innovate. The Holy Spirit is creative. I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit is creative. He has innovations for you. Stop trying to go back to normal. Go to the future God has for you. Let's look at two scriptures before we close for this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 6. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 1, we start with verse 16. You see this prayer of the Apostle Paul from verse 16 to verse 23. It's a prayer that I pray for you. It's a prayer that I encourage you to pray for yourself, for your family, for your pastor, for your church every single day. There's anointed prayers in the scriptures that we should pray. Ephesians 1 is one of those prayers. Ephesians 3 is another one. Philippians 1 and Colossians 1 are prayers that you should pray every single day. These are faith-filled prayers anointed by the Holy Ghost given to us to pray. But in this prayer, I want you to look at something. Verse 17, praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Re revelation is just revealing. It is the disclosing, disc disclosing. It is the uncovering. And the knowledge of him, and the precise and accurate knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He's praying that your eyes of your understanding, how you see things, how you perceive things, how you process things, will be enlightened. Another translation says, flooded with light. What is he doing? He's praying over your sight, not just your natural sight, but how you perceive things, your perception. He's praying over your vision, that your vision may be flooded with light, that you may know what is the hope or the expectation of his calling and invitation. And what are the riches or the abundance of the glory of his inheritance that is in the saint? And he goes on and talks about more things, but you're able to know these things and see these things as your sight or as your spiritual understanding is flooded with light. Which means you can still be by the brook chair thinking you're doing the right thing because your understanding hasn't been flooded with light. And you're wondering, God, why isn't it working? And you miss the gods that go to Zarephath. Because God may have told you to do this a long time ago, but because you didn't want to do it or you forgot about it, you missed it. And you're wondering why is this brook not producing for me anymore? One of the things I encourage you to do today is pray this prayer for you, for yourself today, before we come back again. 
You just personalize it. Father, I pray that you, the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of my understanding are being enlightened, that I may know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance, and me, one of your saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power to me, because I believe, according to the working of your mighty power. Personalize that prayer. And the Holy Spirit will give your understanding and your perception and your vision light. You know what you have? Insight. Supernatural insight. You'll be innovative. Let's close. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Running out of time. Psalm 119. The scripture rose up in my heart the other week. And I saw it in a different way. Psalm 119. The entrance of your words giveth light. Verse 130. The entrance of your words giveth light. It gives understanding unto the simple. That word entrance means unfolding. It's a disclosing. It also means the teaching. The entrance of his words give light. So one of the things that came out of my heart one day, I was just walking around my house, and the scripture rose up in me. The entrance of his words give light, so I'm innovative. The entrance of his word give light, so I have understanding. So that's what I began to say on a regular basis. The entrance of his words give light, so I have understanding. The entrance of his word give light, so I'm innovative. What does that mean? See, the thing is, you've taken time to sit under the word during this conference. That's why you're receiving God ideas, concepts, and insights. That's why your spiritual understanding is being flooded with light. You're praying this way, but you put yourself in a time to receive the word. We'll get more into this tonight. Pray this way. Believe this. Choose to be innovative. Don't be the person that stays by the brook because you refuse to change. God has restoration for you. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.